Hello, Husky fans. Welcome back to the Husky Fan Podcast. The season ends on a difficult note with a 28-23 loss in the Rose Bowl. A valiant effort, at least in the second half. Valiant comeback. And uh, Jimmy Cornell with that, I mean, I guess the Cougs had a better season, you know, because it's, <laughs> it's better to beat Iowa State, who I think is number 37 in Sagarin. It's better to, to barely beat the number 37 team in Sagarin by a couple points uh, than to, uh, you know, win your conference, stomp your rifle on their ground. Uh, yeah, I was going to save that Coug <laughs> section for later because – just flip the script quickly. If you were a Coug and you you were in the 2016 playoff game and you won two out of three Pac-12 championships, could you imagine how unbearable the Coug fan would be if they were to replicate what Washington has done the last three years? And this idea that you would prefer to be 11-2 and two and beat the Cyclones than to be 10-2 and and going to the Rose Bowl, you know, overall and playing Ohio State. I want to dive into it later because some of the Coug logic knows no bounds. It's it's embarrassing for those guys. Like, I don't hate the Coug like the Coug hates the Husky because it's almost like there's very little that could match the hate. But this narrative that, you know, and and there's Coug saying how Washington really lost 28 to 3 that that was actually the final score because Ohio State, you know, just packed it in. I don't know what you got going in the background there, buddy, but it's coming in loud. Oh, well, I was just – I have some metrics that I wanted to pull up. Let me uh, – Well, yeah. But, but, what, just, just to, just to cut in – no, no, I'll let you go. I just wanted to cut in for 10 seconds because there's actually metrics you can look at that can really explain, you know, did one team really dominate the whole game uh, and, and those types of things. But anyway, continue. Yeah, okay, you'll get to the metrics. I, I want to save the Coug stuff for later because that's not what we're here to talk about. But every pod I'm going to start with is a reminder to all of the listeners out there that the loudest voices for Husky football, Mr. Dave Softy Mahler and the crew at Dogman.com, as a reminder, they thanked star Steve Sarkeesian for this Rose Bowl. The man who drank on the job, who cheated on his wife, who treated his players like garbage, unless your name was Jake Locker or Chris Polk, you were a nobody. Hugh Millen saying that he did it the right way at Washington. And these clowns openly question whether Chris Peterson would be able to recruit in the P5 world. Just just a reminder, those are the loudest uh, – voices in Husky football in the media and a lot of people look at them as the go-to people for Husky football. So every time I'm going to remind the listener that those guys are your voice of the Washington Huskies when it comes to people that are <laughs> speak the loudest for this program. Just a reminder. Yeah. And were they, did they have a problem with Taylor Rapp not playing? And I and I want to get into that because I think that had a huge effect on the game. But um, I didn't hear what they were saying. But um, some some um, you and I know some uh, parents of players were very unhappy at the way the Hawks were 
questioning Taylor Rapp and his desire and his, you know, availability to play and if he was making a business decision or whatever. Yeah, I I think we hold on the Taylor Rapp scenario, and I I didn't listen to them about the whole thing. Um, I just saw some of the comments made on on the Twitter sphere, the the go to for all of the banter and gossip and insight that one can gain from virtually any topic on this planet. Uh, I mean, getting to the game, and you know, we can go with the positives. There are negatives. I know there are some snowflake listeners that can't handle any criticism because it's considered negative, and I'm just a negative Nancy and a guy who just bitches and complains. But there are there are reasons to question some of the the planning that went into the game plan based on a lot of the metrics you spoke about pre Rose bowl. Uh, there, there was some very, just, I think from an offensive standpoint, there were some puzzling factors. And then the way the team kind of started out the game where you almost felt like they slept, walked through, you know, the first half and a portion of the third quarter. And then they started to, to dial it in, but th- there's a lot of things to unpack another favorite word out there out that a lot of people like to use chess. We can unpack this game from a number of areas. And then I think jump into some of those finer details of Taylor rap and then looking ahead to 2019, because I know everyone's already anointed Jacob Eason, the second Montlake savior, uh, Montlake Jake part do. Um, so we can dive into that because apparently Everything's going to be well now that we have a five-star quarterback at the helm. Yeah. Well, one thing on on being negative, it's not about being negative. It's just seeing everything realistically and looking at where the team can. We're we're trying to assess. We're trying to not. We're, try, we're trying to assess the team without our purple blinders on, and we're doing it in the context of. Can this team compete for a national championship? What has to happen? Yeah. And people who think, you know, and there's some people who think that, oh, we can't beat Clemson or, you know, 10 years ago we were 0-12. I mean, give me a fucking break. Just look at this team's history. Like, people don't, you know, and, and nobody is saying we're going to be Alabama or, or uh, you know, Florida State or these types of schools or Ohio State where, you know, we can win multiple national championships in a generation. It's going to be difficult to do that. But if you look back at what this team did in 1960, 1984, the early 90s, even the 2000 season, even though you know we probably would have lost in, in the playoff or we would have lost in the BCS National Championship game, this is a team that has competed and won national championships in the past. So don't give me this shit about, oh, well, 10 years ago we're 0-12 and, and you know we should just be happy with where we're at right now. Yeah, I yes. can't. Yes, we are happy with where we are right now, but we're not satisfied. Winners and champions don't get complacent. They always look to the next thing. That's why Nick Saban is so great, because he doesn't say, oh, well, we won one national championship. Now we'll just rest. You know, that's great. You know, we don't have anything else to do. No, clearly. No, Chess, just be thankful. Just be thankful that you can root for a winning team. Just think about where we were. You know, ten years ago. Well, yeah, I can easily do that. So yeah, that was a colossal series of fuck ups. It's honestly, if you look at, sorry, sorry, just to, just for like ten seconds to cut you off. If you look at like uh, co- college football 
and probably college basketball, I mean, or just college football specifically, there is no other program that has been as good as we've been and had that big of a collapse. Like, it's, it's really unnatural if you're looking at the data. Like, it really took a lot of shit decisions, just a comedy of errors for that to happen. So that, that was a fucking aberration. That's yeah. not, that's, stop talking about it like that's the norm or, 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 you know, that was supposed to happen. It's just bullshit. It was a lost decade that should have never been. It happened. This program has everything in place for all for to always be competitive. Um, but again, we, we can say that for you know conversation for later, another pot. I think you want to dive back into the doldrums of hell. Um, but you know, let, let's let's get into the game itself. Uh, if, if you want to talk about the Rose Bowl experience, that's always welcome. Obviously, I wasn't at this one, so I, I can't share in. In that aspect, I can share some details from the television broadcast, but there's nothing like being inside the Rose Bowl itself for the game. Um, so do you, do you want to start there? Do you have any comments you'd like to make on your experience at the Rose Bowl? Any, any highlights that you would like to share with the listener? Uh, yeah, one, uh, hi, yeah, the highlights, um, I mean, the experience is fantastic. Um, even though there were a lot of little things along the way that just seemed to bother me. And I'm kind of, you know, I guess, I don't know if idiosyncratic or neurotic is probably a better word. I'm really neurotic about a lot of things. Got there pretty early, uh, was going to go to the TSIO tailgate, was walking around for like an hour trying to find it. The tailgating at the Rose Bowl sucks. It just seems like it's hard to find people. I, I hate the grass. There's all these different areas. The, 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 <laughs> the golf course. The, yeah, the phones weren't working, so I, I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't find the tailgate. They should have posted something on Twitter as soon as they got there and get given, like, specific, you know, aside from, like, oh, we're in Lot 6. Because Lot 6 was fucking massive. And, um, I mean, literally, it was just, it, it was like, it, and there was no cell phone reception, or it was very, very minimal. Okay, so get to the game day. I, I wasted an hour walking around trying to find their tailgate. And then I walked into the game, and, um, you know, that was all good and fine, but there were <clears throat> two fans sitting behind us who would not shut the fuck up the entire game. Like, it was so <laughs> annoying. Like, everybody could hear that they would not shut the fuck up. Like, everybody could hear their conversation. Like, one of them was, like, kneeing my wife in the back. Miss Chess was, like, <laughs> she had to, like, calm down. She had to leave for a little bit and calm down because, like, literally, like, you know, she wanted to deck the guy for multiple reasons. But, like, one of the guys, like, when they, sco- when they scored and went ahead 14-3, like, one of the guys said, like, oh, you know, I, I forget, something like, oh, that's too bad. And he was, like, saying it, you know, so we could hear it. And <laughs> Mrs. Chess so just wanted to turn around and, and deck the guy. What was was it a Buckeye fan? I think one of them was a Buckeye fan, and one of them was not. The one that was not, I think, and he was just babbling on about his fiance like the entire time. Like literally, I know everything about his fiance. Uh, they were living in the Bay Area. She's been his fiance for nine years. I mean, shit or get off the pot already, buddy. Uh, his, the fiance is uh, a geologist. She has an environmental science degree. Uh, she won. <laughs> she uh, she's not quite sure about kids. You know, they're both open to uh, adopting, you know, now they live in the L.A. area and they're thinking about, oh, and they also went to Peru and like did some cool hikes there. Uh, and just it was and it like and they were talking like so loud the entire time, like 
they would not shut the fuck up. Like it totally. Um, so I was like disappointed that it wasn't like 95% Husky fans all around us. You know, that was kind of um, a disappointment, but anyway, on the positive side, uh, you know, one thing that this, we need to do this for the game day experience. I'm not, when I tweet about this, I'm not talking about the flyover. I'm, they were interviewing for both teams. They had uh, people on the sideline interviewing former players. Mm. And it was pretty like they did an interview with Darrell Daniels and Keyshawn Pieria, and they were like firing up the crowd, you know, as they were being interviewed. And it just like, why not do, you know, they have that guy at Husky Stadium, you know, hey, Husky fans, you know, blah, 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 you know, watch this race or, you know, whatever that guy does. That guy should be interviewing the former players that are on the sideline. Yeah. I mean, why not do that every, you know, Dante or, or just because I remember it seemed like Dante Pettis was like at every game this year or at least the last, like, three or four games. I mean, interviewing a guy like that at one of the home games, I mean, that is going to get the crowd fired up. That's going to get everybody excited. Why yeah. not? I mean, they should do that every single game. I mean, of course, there's former – I mean, you can have a multitude of former players throughout the season being interviewed. And in addition to that, they should, like the Sonics used to do this where they'd record the, uh, they'd record the players giving messages, you mm-hmm. know, to, to pump up the crowd. During the so I like I remember it'd be like late in the game and you know the Sonics would you know they wanted to implore the crowd to cheer more and and you know they'd have like you know, that in the years past yeah they'd have like Gary Payton or uh, you know Sean Kemp would be you know hey come on so hey Sonics fans you know we need you we need to bring the noise you know let's go they've done I mean, that Husky Stadium they've done that but it seems like they haven't done that in recent years they have. though really they rather do what's in or out is uh, Justin Bieber in or is he out. Is Snapchat in? Or <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, I'm sorry. Nobody cares. But Nobody cares about that during the game. Like, I don't want to be thinking about Snapchat or Justin Bieber while I'm watching a football game. Yeah, interview the former players that are on the sideline. Use I'll them to, scroll, use them to pump up Instagram. the crowd. I'll scroll Instagram if I want to find out the latest on Justin Bieber and whether he's cool or not. Yeah, that's just a horrible idea. Okay, uh, what are we doing? Are we going to talk about the game? Yeah, let's talk about the let's talk about the game. Um, I I think you know big picture from the game. Um, I Taylor Rapp not playing. You know, I don't know if that would have changed the outcome, but I'm I'm reasonably confident that if Taylor Rapp's playing, you know that that's a close game for mo- You know, at least it's a much closer game in the middle of the game. Well, do you give up three touchdowns in the first half with no. Taylor Rapp? No, you don't. Probably not. But, <laughs> I mean, I think... They, they were really killing us middle of the field. Do you think that tells you why it's really important to have really good, talented players on your football team? Absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. mean... I mean it, the reason we lost that game was talent. It wasn't coaching. Well, even, you know, you, you didn't see it, but at halftime, first comment about the Washington getting back into the game was Reese Davis. All he said was recruiting. That was his analysis of, of, of the first half of the game was, how does Washington get back into this game? Recruiting. That's all he said. And then they, you know, went over to Desmond Howard and he gave us two cents. But Which was, um, which was worth probably zero cents. Yeah, it was worth nothing. Um, I, I, you know, you see the drop off. Uh, I think both of us have, have liked McKinney. 
I mean, apparently he had been practicing the entire month um, as the starter, as it was apparently questionable for Rap to play. And so uh, supposedly he got all the first first team reps. He, he's played a fair bit of football over the last uh, two seasons. So it's not like he was thrust into the game without much playing time. I mean, McKinney played uh, a fair bit, especially in that single high safety um, scheme. Um, he, he got a lot of playing time. Uh, I, you know, was that, did, that, was that breakdown? I mean, could you, I'm just saying like with, with the coaching and, and the game experience, I mean, was he three touchdowns bad? I don't think so. I, I think there was an element of the defense not playing its best game. Uh, I, I felt like the team just got off to a slow start. Um, and I think there's some issue around how we start games, obviously, especially big ones. I mean, we here here we see the team coming back uh, ferociously at the end. And I know, like, I guess Urban Meyer, one thing is that his teams do pack it in. He just relies on the talent and the lead and, and kind of, uh, you know, gets into a shell later into the game. However, chest, the issue that I think many of us would have is that Gaskin saw the ball seven times in the first half. He had the most carries. They ran the ball the most in the fourth quarter when they were down 25 points. Browning threw the ball 27 times. I don't remember remember the series where we ran it twice for positive yardage, and then er, and then we got a first down, and then we ran, and then Browning threw a swing pass on second down. I think we lost four or six yards. Put us in a in a you know long yarded situation to get a first down, killed the drive. Over done. Defense read it. Like Gaskin was was averaging five plus yards a carry, and all the stats that you shared they were weak against the run, especially especially explosive run plays. And then what does the team do out of the second half? Like they run like Gaskin continuously to start the second half, you know, the drives did stall. Um, you know, there was drop passes. I, I haven't gone back to watch the game. I didn't want to watch, really go back and watch the game. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of strong desire to get back to it, but apparently Peterson said that they had designed runs to start the second half and there was more RPO in the first half. I didn't, I haven't seen that, but apparently that's what he said in the post game presser. I didn't watch it. Um, so, it was frustrating to see Gaskin so little used early in the game. Yeah, but I think part of, I mean, because we were texting about that, and, you know, when I was thinking about the the run pass stats in the first half, I mean, I had the same reaction. But there's a couple of things to keep in mind. On RPOs, so that those are, I think, more so at, at Jake's discretion. And yes. Ohio State is obviously, look, we cannot, we don't have a downfield passing game. So Ohio State was clearly playing to sure. take to, they were playing to defend the run yeah. uh, in the first half. And then in the second half, you know, when you have a big lead, you err on the side of, you know, we don't want to give up big play. So I don't, I, like, I'm not, I'm not saying that, um, you know the the play the run and pass selection there. I'm not saying that that was all fine because there's probably you know that looks like it's off balance to at least you know 
at least some degree. But I think the bigger issue was where the hell was Hunter Bryant in the first half? Did did I read it incorrectly? Did he play in the first quarter? <laughs> I read somewhere he he did not even play in the first quarter. Because when you look at uh, uh, you look at Gaskin and Hunter Bryant between the two of them only getting. Maybe Hunter was only targeted once in the first half. I'd have to rewatch it, but you know, and, and yeah, they they tried a couple swing, one or two swing passes to Gaskin, but that's just not enough touches for the two guys that are your two best threats on offense. And it, it J- Jimmy, it's uh, uh, two more things. Uh, Jake, he just he missed a lot of passes. I mean, two examples: the one right before halftime on third down, the the slant where Fuller was yeah. wide open. I mean, that was going to go for thirty yards. I mean, that's just. You know, you you're a senior quarterback. You have all these accolades. It's, it's a fucking easy slant. You can't miss that throw. And then um, I wrote this down. There was also a pass to Hunter. Um, oh, there was ten minutes ago in the game. We're down eighteen, and there was a pass where Hunter Bryant was wide open in the middle of the field. Yeah, like it would have. Like Herb Street said, because I was just watching the 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 broadcast. Herb Street said, you know, that was going to the other thirty yard line. Like, oh, yeah. it, it, I mean. And and you know that then you're you're threatening where maybe you can get you can get it down to eleven with you know eight minutes to go and it's you know tight butthole time for Ohio State. I mean they did have tight butthole time in the last minute, but you know that that was a huge miss. So Browning really yeah, but he missed. That ball he, was still technical though. I'm, I'm just saying. I mean it was no, I, I, it was it was I, I don't it was way behind him. I mean, it, yeah, but it, it was still catchable. I, I I don't know. I would tell you to watch, watch it again because I think yes, I, I I was watching it. They showed the replay. I mean, it was behind him. It wasn't the easiest of catches, but Hunter Bryant has really good hands. I mean, he could have caught that ball, but it was not. Anyway, a, I, yeah, I, let's just ag- agree to disagree. And what's yeah, I mean, what's frustrating? I mean, e- even with our defensive struggles in the first half. I mean, according to Bill Connolly's metrics, we had seven scoring opportunities versus Ohio State's five. So the problems we had earlier in the season where we were getting lots of yards but we weren't scoring, I mean, we had a lot of tribes that, um, you know, basically got stopped in the dead zone there, you know, around the plus 30, 35-yard line. So, I mean, that that's another, uh, that's another thing that's unfortunate, obviously. Well, and I'm looking at the success rate because Bill Connolly has something called success rate, where I think it's um, it's just based on like how many yards you're getting. I think on first and second down, and 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 there's like a certain percentage you have to get on first and second down, depending on the yards to go. Now, based on that metric for the game, we had a 42% success rate. Ohio State only 38%. So Ohio State kind of relied more on big plays at times, which, I mean, they were able to get downfield because uh, no rap. Yeah, I mean, there was, you know, the coin toss when all the guys walked to the middle of the field to do this coin toss. Uh, That lineman uh, prints for Ohio State, I mean, enormous, enormous individual. I mean, I was a massive human being. He just towered over... I mean, granted, they you know it was like Browning and I think BBK and a few other guys, but this guy Prince was just mammoth. Uh, you know, I think you know it's fair to say there was some talent discrepancy 
uh, for the game. I mean, Washington had opportunities that, you know, they didn't capitalize on. I mean, Ty Jones had a drop ball. I think Fuller dropped her at Bocelli. Um, you know, like you said, our, our downfield passing game was non-existent. Um, you know, and I think, you know, they knew Ohio State could watch Browning's limitations. I felt like when you talk about tight butthole time for Ohio State, I honestly felt like there was some manufactured emotion from Urban um, just just for his the antics. I don't think that he was necessarily really uh, concerned uh, near the end. Uh, he's just kind of a theatrical person. And it was interesting at the halftime when I interviewed him, he's like, he made, he made a comment to that. It, the Rose Bowl was never his dream, but it was his players' dream, and that you know we just got to finish strong. I mean, he he his message to the players were, don't turn the ball over and tackle well. And I think in his mind, like if they didn't allow for a fluke big play because of poor tackling or, or a bad turnover, or a drop ball, that I don't think he had much concern on the outcome of the game. Uh, Washington did have an opportunity Haskins on one of the sacks that he took late in the game. He did fumble the ball, but it just went right back to him. And I think it was BBK on the ball or it might've been Bartlett. Um, there was an opportunity to get that ball, but it just kind of squirted out and still in the Haskins grasp, you know, so some of those things went the right way for, for Ohio state. And, uh, you know, you just can't let yourself get into a, in a hole, uh, in the game and have to try to like force a comeback. That's just difficult to do. Um, but you know, I don't think it's to be forgotten. What think of the game that miles Gaskin had, he threw a touchdown when he ran for what another two. Uh, I mean, no, he, I think he caught one. Yeah. Yeah. He caught, had one, right, one of each. One. He had the, the, the pitch and then the, the, the throw to sample. I mean, talk about, a legend in Washington lore. Uh, I don't know how any guy, anyone can hate on that guy's career. Even if you're a, you know, a hater of Washington, you've, you had to marvel at that kid's play. And I, I know they talked, they, you know, they really went big on Browning's 39 wins in the PAC 12 and, and all of those stats, but it, it's just tough to see so, so many other people involved to actually make that happen for him to get the 39 TDs. And I understand the quarterback position is, is the most important position on the field, but there's just so many more components that come into play. When you, when you look at the 39 wins, they always talk about him getting as the Washington quarterback. Um, Cause there's been some, you know, just unbelievable, uh, football played by by a, a lot of individuals uh for this washington team and it's gonna be tough to see some of these guys go um you know it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a transition for sure uh come 2019 you got a lot of good players leaving yeah you know what one thing i want to say on gaskin is we said two years ago that john ross was the pac-12 offensive player of the year i, I know Minshew had all the stats but it's really Gaskin because he he along with uh, you know Byron Murphy Taylor Rapp the the alpha guys on this team they did what they had to do to put this team over the top and into the Rose Bowl. I mean they got it done at the end of the season. I mean Gaskin was the was the player of the year. It's just you can't. It, it's so ridiculous that you give it to Minshew who just had a terrible game in, in the uh, he was outplayed by Browning. 
in the uh, Apple Cup. They both faced the same conditions. Granted, he faced a tougher defense, but that's, well, that's just that's so ridiculous that Gaskin, j- just as it was two years ago when John Ross didn't get the vote, it's just it's just ridiculous in my mind. He, he's the 2018 uh, Offensive Player of the Year. Minshew had you know didn't have a good game against Cal. I think he had struggled in another another game. Um, yeah, I, I guess you know he didn't have the 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 stat the eye popping stats like Minshew had, and and you know the 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 wonderful media focuses on on all the wrong things when a lot of times when when looking at teams and you know stats. They look at the stats. They look at Browning's thirty nine wins and, and disregard all the other components to, to get that many that many wins for a program. Um, you know, the media focuses on generally just all of the wrong things, mostly all of the time. Uh, so is it any shock to you that they get it wrong? Um, no. Uh, you know, getting to the Taylor Rapp thing, I think it's most important that he's remembered for what he has done for the program as a whole, uh, the way he played. Uh, the only comment I'll make about it is that, in my mind, he is the toughest Husky that is on this team, and especially over the last few years. I don't think there's anyone tougher. And I know Peterson will say Browning's the toughest, but in my mind, Rapp's the toughest. If, if, they, if it came down to you know Rapp, if that was a playoff game or a national championship game, uh, my guess is he probably would have, put, would have played. But I, I have no ill will toward Taylor Rapp and what anyone else says about whether he made a wrong or right decision of playing in that game and whether how hurt he was. Uh, I'll just remember uh, the last three years of his career. But, I mean, I, I, th- he, he, I think he tried to play. I think they put him out for, like, a snap or two. So I don't know if he – he wouldn't have been effective. No more effective than McKinney, huh? Well, I I just think between him and the coaches, I mean, they, they have information that we don't have. And I just think Taylor Rapp, it's probably killing him that he wasn't able to play. I mean, what these guys go through, they get to play in a great Rose Bowl, and... I, I don't. I don't think. I, I just think you know the NFL and, and that aspect. I, I don't think that factored into into the decision that much. Maybe a tiny bit, but I, I think for him, it. You know, he probably desperately wanted to be able to play with his teammates, but he was just injured and he, and he wasn't able to be effective. Yeah, I think I think no one will truly know except for Taylor and his family. But I think the most important part is to be that. Everyone remembers him as as his you know his body of work as a husky. Um, while well, he was here at Washington, he's by far one of the best safeties to ever play at Washington. And uh, you know he he's a dog, baby. Yeah, he did I, a lot for this program. I, yeah, I don't blame him or have any ill will towards him. I just I'm just disappointed that we we weren't able to play against that caliber of an offense with. Taylor Rapp because he's the best player on the defense or the most valuable. Yeah. That's just what's disappointing to me about it. I don't have any, any ill will towards him. Well, and that gets back to, you know, the TSIO guys, everything matters. You got to recruit, you got to get the best guys possible because when you lose a playmaker like that, you've got to have someone that's going to be able to, 
to fill the void. And, and frankly, I mean, I've really liked what I've seen out of McKinney. Um, and there could have been some breakdowns. We don't know exactly why the middle was open as open as it was. There was probably some confusion on the back end. And, you know, like Jimmy Lake said, I mean, Taylor Rapp's the smartest player he's ever coached. Uh, and this idea that, um, you know, he's a second rounder. I bet you after the combine and after the interviews, uh, he'll be a first round pick in the NFL. Yeah, that always happens. Huskusky guys always get a nice bump. Well, in, in the fact that his, his football IQ is so high, um, that that's going to mean something when these guys talk to him and they look at him as an individual and his character and, uh, him as a as an human being, I just don't know how you not how you would can not pass up, especially if you're you know, I would say in the later first rounds or I don't I don't follow the the draft boards in the NFL like you know others do, but I would imagine if you had a need in in the secondary in that safety position, you'd be hard pressed to pass on him. Yeah, the Seahawks should take him. Yeah, one hundred percent, absolutely. You know, especially if they see him as a second rounder, they could trade down and get him. You're talking about tremendous value uh, in the second round if you were to get Taylor Rapp in your secondary. Tremendous value. Is that your new word? Tremendous. Yeah, it's my new word, man. It's going to go along with atrocious. Nice. Yeah, so I, I mean, I just think, not to belabor the point, but I just think the reasons we lost the game. Taylor Rapp is number one, in my opinion. And then secondly, I'd say issues in the passing game. You had too many drops. You had Browning missed guys at certain points, which we already discussed. And so even that's just what what's disappointing, because if we have Rapp and the passing game is sharp, that's probably a, you know, that's a legitimate game, not in the last minute like it was, but in the fourth quarter. Like that's a legitimate game where we're hanging there with them and we have a chance. That's what, that's just to me what's disappointing about it. Yeah, I, 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 I'm disappointed with the slow start. I, I felt like um, we didn't start great, and, and you know Peterson was pretty uh, animated, uh, especially in the second half, um, where you know the drop balls or some penalties in there. Uh, you know, I think. Some more of some of his frustration kind of poured out. He was more animated than I can recall, uh, where he was just kind of like you know putting his whole body into yeah. where you could see he was frustrated. Really, more so than Urban Meyer, he puts his body into it a lot. Yeah. Well, Urban's just that guy. I, he's a strange man, but he's a winner. Um, so I. You know, I think obviously rap obviously was a huge blow to the secondary. Um, you probably don't at least give up. You probably give up two touchdowns. I, w- I would at least give rap. You know, you probably don't have one of those touchdowns happening at minimum. Yeah, but you know, maybe it's maybe it's fourteen three, and you're able to kick a field goal in the third quarter, and it's fourteen. You know, and even if they score sure. and make a twenty one six, we get a touchdown. It's twenty one thirteen. You know, maybe it's. But even yeah, you know, okay. Brown, even if Browning completes that slant, uh, you know, then it's fourteen three. Going we're in. like Dukes, man. You know. <laughs> no, we're just we're just pointing out 
Yeah. I mean, because we're not saying we could have won the game. At least what I'm saying is we would. it would have been a tighter game had we had rap, had the passing offense had been sharper. It would have been a much tighter game. I didn't, you know, I'm not or, saying, oh, we could have won if this and this and this. I mean. Or, or, or you get Hunter Bryant more involved. Exactly, yeah. I mean, you you get you get Gaskin. You find more ways uh, to get Gaskin the ball, and uh, you know there was some scenarios where I think uh, well, McGrew had a nice little run in the game. Kamari Pleasant had some play, um, but I just feel like you you kind of you kind of went late into the game to to find your playmakers uh, offensively, and you know if Ohio State knows, I mean. Look, your job as the offensive coordinator is to is to move the ball and score touchdowns. Okay, you need to involve your best players in doing so, and that would be Hunter Bryant and Miles Gaskin. And I don't care what you have to do to get them the ball. If look, I've said this before in the past, and the Hawks do this too. You can run the ball three and out. I don't care. Do not give me these shit pass plays that don't work or, you know, Browning is rolling to his right, a guy just sitting with the ball in his hand. Like like that one play when, when Sheffield bought the ball away, I think it was to Fuller oh, yeah, on the right just, side. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Yeah, yeah, later go ahead. Game, he's just holding on to the ball. Dude, when you get that ball, that ball's got to be out of your hand, like right away. That was, a, held- that was a fourth down. Just I think it was the third quarter, was it not? Yeah. The third quarter. It was just outside of the red zone. And that's another issue with Browning that people don't – that I think people don't diagnose that well is that he a lot – you know, he does not throw – like it's your word, anticipation. He does not throw with anticipation. Yeah. He gets the ball out late too often. And, and, and on some of those throws, he's not accurate. Like that's a, a real weakness in his game, even more so than him just not being physically impressive. That That is a much bigger issue. Yeah, if you can't throw with anticipation as a quarterback, um, it, it just hey, look, I mean, that's just what you're going to end up with. You're going to have that's the okay. If you, you want to talk about the savior, Eason, he probably gets that ball out a second and a half faster with a tremendous more vo- velocity that doesn't allow for the corner to make up ground and make a jump on the ball like he did. I mean, Sheffield was was up in the receiver's face and knocking that ball away because Browning was so late with the ball. And, you know, I'm not – I don't want to – look, he's graduated. He's moved on. He's got a tremendous uh, career behind him. But, I mean, those things – like – those type of plays, like if yeah, if Jacob Eason makes those plays, like you continue drives and you continue yeah, opportunity that, to score. And, and, and Peterson made that point too at the end, like you know, it comes down to execution, where you know he kind of put a, a bit of the onus on the players and, and executing, but that could be because the offense is is so complicated and you got guys doing so much shit, you don't get really good um, at certain plays and. Yeah, Brown and Browning should be knowing through practice like he's got to throw that ball right away with anticipation. So yeah, I mean he just he he did not. I know for some reason he graded out well with Pro Football Focus. Um, I, I don't agree with that because he missed too many throws that were too significant in 
in the, and keep yeah. keeping us, you know, with, with uh, within striking distance. And we're we're not trying to bash Browning. We're just going over these plays, and these are reasons why we lost the game. It's nothing personal against Browning. He's not a bad quarterback, but he's not a great quarterback either. He's probably an above average college quarterback, and there is a lot of variance to that because some games he looks really good, other games he's looked awful. But Jimmy, we didn't even talk about the throw in the first half where Jared Hilbers had to bat it away. Yeah. I mean, that was a heady play because Hilbers obviously knows that's going to be a penalty, but he he's also got to bat the ball down because that's like a pick six. That would have been the worst pick six you've ever seen if that <laughs> happened. I mean, we didn't even bring up that throw. So, and, and yeah, this is a ta- that's a talent execution issue. I mean, people want to bush about Peter or bitch about Peterson and Hamden. Yes, there are places for that. But a lot of it is you just got to get you, you got to get better players all around. That that's going to solve a lot of these issues. Yeah that that was a that was a disastrous uh, moment in the game. There's there's no question about so it. Ridiculous. That was just like how how could you be how could you like what are you thinking there? I mean through all all of the plays, all the experience, all of the games that that. I mean, Russell Wilson does the same thing. That guy's played a ton of football. He throws some just mind-boggling passes of such. But, you know, Browning, I guess, in that thought he could make a play there. And, yeah, Hilbers had to make a heady play, even though he'd take a penalty on it. But it was the right thing to do. (laughs) So Browning was 35 of 54 for 313 yards, which is really not that great. But, but. Better quarterback play would have made a huge difference. I mean, I'm not saying Eason or – I mean, Eason is going to be an improvement. He's going to be better than Browning any way you look at it. But, I mean, yeah, you you stick another good quarterback in there, they probably throw for 400 yards. I mean, we've already talked about four or five plays where Browning just had bad misfires. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, he should have thrown for 400 yards. In that game, that's not a, a very good defense. Even though yeah, they're talented, just, just, just that's what's so. Look, man, at halftime you have three points where you had Purdue lighting them up for forty nine. You had Maryland putting up fifty one points. They rushed for three hundred yards. Well, I mean, every, they only threw the ball thirteen times. Every game is different, though. I get it, but I'm telling you, man, like. When we talk about leveling up and getting that signature victory and having an opportunity to win the game, like they're statistically and the in in the strengths of of the offense, like they they had off, look outside looking in and you look at all the metrics and you look at no, the season as a whole. You're right. There's opportunity for the, them to, look, to win that game. The metrics agree with you. They say scoring opportunities. Ohio State only had five. We had seven. We got stopped numerous times in the dead zone. Yeah. So that that's what's, you know, if you want to be frustrated or it, it's just like, you know, that there was an opportunity to, 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 to have, an, there was a good chance for them with a good game plan and, and good effort. Um, and not, not to say there, the effort wasn't there. I, I don't want to take away from the effort, but it just felt like to me that they, they were sleep, sleepwalking in the first half. Like maybe they had went out on New Year's and ate some crab and, you know, maybe had a, a drink or two. It just felt like they woke up when they were like, hey, man, we got to we gotta do something here. And, and it kind of seemed like the urgency turned up. Like 
you know, apparently Browning early in the first quarter was, according to Maria Taylor, he was pumping up his players saying, hey, we're going to go up tempo. They can't stop us. They didn't really do that, though. They didn't go up tempo. And, like, I get it. Like, if you stall, you're going to get your defense out there. But at that juncture, man, you've got a jump start. And, and Browning's always played better uh, up tempo. And it didn't seem like, you know, that, that urgency didn't – even at the end of the game, dude – there was times where they, they burned like 15 to 25 seconds. When they were inside the 10, they finally got that pitch scored of Gaskin. I mean, they, they burned probably a good 28 seconds between, I think, second and third down. If I'm not mistaken, I mean, even, even when the urgency needed to be there, they were still like taking their time. Like at that juncture, every second counted in the game. To, and, to, and, and the other issue with talent is that. It, uh, in the lack of it on the offense is it's it's been doomed by a negative play like all season like that happened multiple times like I didn't chart everything but I, I think there's at least two drives where it seemed like we were moving the ball well and then there was a penalty or then they got a sack like there was one where they blitzed on second down and sacked Browning and so it's just when you don't have I mean I guess I'm just repeating and stating the obvious but that helped Ohio State a lot in this game where they figured, you know, we're not that great on defense, but we have the talent or all we need to do is just if we could just get a negative play here. Yeah, no, they're going to be able to stop them. It was in pack it in mode. Like everything was on their in their favor at that end. Like you're trying to make a furious comeback. Like that's just not that's just not going to work for, for you. But no, but I mean, even earlier in the game, like we were moving the ball, but. Oh, yeah. It just, you know, there'd be a, we'd get a penalty or a couple times I think they got, you know, they got us in a negative play. And then we right. had a, you know, third and 10 or third and 15 or, you know, second and 15. And that's just, you know, that's tough given our, you know, weakness in the passing game, which, and, and you know, we've seen it. Uh, you know, this more so this season than last season, but you know, we've seen what happens to the passing game when it's going up against the league competition. Well, I mean, that might be a good time to, to look to the look to 2019 if we want to go into there. Do we want to talk about the uh, the silly cougs? <laughs> let's let's we got a lot of questions, so let's. All right. And I want to talk about the wide receivers also, but there's probably a question about that. Uh, slow starts in bowl games going back to the Cactus against the then six win Oki Light. Why? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know either. I, I think talent plays. Yeah, but we've seen slow start in other games too. I don't know that it's you can just look to the talent. Uh, I mean, I, there's a talk about you know you take on the personality of your coach, and you know Peterson's always been a guy that you know you're never too high, you're never too low, you're kind of that even keel. Um, which, granted, I don't have a I don't have a issue with that thought process, um, but for whatever reason. Uh, we've seen this team slow start where it doesn't feel like they have that enthusiasm. And not to say that just because you're fired up and you have a lot of enthusiasm, you're going to win the game. But I think there's something to be said to be totally jacked up. And 
you know, sometimes it doesn't feel like that way. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't have a good answer. I, I couldn't tell you. Me neither. I just, I don't know. Okay, next question. How many starters on offense and defense against Buckeyes simply not good enough to help us beat elite teams like Ohio State? I have four on each each side of the ball. What's the question? I'm sorry. Oh, I guess, I'm, I guess I if you're looking at the offense and defense, like how many starters would you say they're not, you know, they're not good enough to help us beat Ohio State? Uh, I mean, you'd have to give me some time to go through. I mean, I think there's, I mean, there's a handful of guys, especially on, I think, defensively. Guys that are, that are not, um, you mean a handful of guys that are not good enough or? To beat Ohio State or to start on Ohio State? I'm, I'm having trouble with the question. Sorry. I guess either. Well, looking at, oh, well, let's just look at the weak spots on um, offense. I would say. Wide receiver. Wide, look, I'd say both both of our starting wide receivers, probably Four. Wattenberg on the line. Uh, yeah. And uh, Harris. Quarter, I mean, yeah. look, I like Nick Harris. He's all confident, yeah. but. And, and quarterback. So, yeah, those are. Um, but you know, if, if you have a different, if you have a, a different quarterback, who's a real elite quarterback that hides a lot of issues. Yeah. hides some stains. And on, def- on defense, I would say it, it's tough because I would have liked to see how, how the defense does with Taylor Rapp. I mean, are they able to hold Ohio state below? 28 do they hold them to 24 or 21 remember every game's different so Ohio State uh, it's really hard to say it, you just can't say like if rap would have been in there would have been this outcome it's just it's impossible to say <laughs> it just really is I mean you can make an assumption I, but I, on defense look, dude they're weak at line like look at the linebacker scenario you know defensively on the line you have some good players um, but you know you you your rotation on the D line isn't isn't where you want it to be. You know, there's some depth issues at safety. Like at corner, you feel fine. If yeah. George Miller or Byron Murphy go down, I mean, and you have Keith Taylor and you have Molden and Hampton and Gordon. To, like I trust all those guys, even though a couple of those guys are young. Like I like those guys right away because they're superior. They're supreme athletes. They're coached up by the best. Uh, from from a secondary standpoint, you, you have no issue there, but you know you have issue at safety depth, you got issue at linebacker, and then I think defensive line depth for this year uh, were areas that you know are are tough. Yeah, I think on on defense, I would say you need um, we we need one probably we need one. Or we would need one elite linebacker and one, you know, one safety next to Rap who's better than McIntosh, who's more of a you know pass defender than a run defender. That's what I would say. Sure. But anyway, yeah. So let's go to. But what's frustrating is, look, I mean, if our if our quarterback and wide receivers have a better game. We get Hunter Bryant more involved early, and Taylor Rapp plays. I think we could have been there right with him. I'm not saying we would have won the game, but um, at least 
you're going down to the fourth quarter and you know you're not in a hole of twenty eight to three. Right. Yes, exactly. Uh, what position group in particular needs to be improved the most to win against these elite schools? Oh, I mean, I think you're looking at multiple position groups. True, but could you pick one? I mean, for me, I'd say quarterback and you know outside linebacker. Yeah, because those are the positions on the field that can impact that have the most impact. That they can mask your weaknesses at other spots. Yeah, and yeah. I I do Fair. think we are going to get better at outside linebacker or Buck. Yeah, no, we're on our way, but we're not there. But yeah, quarterback and I I I, I concur on those on that, Jess. I, I concur with you. But yeah, I mean it's it's you know the coaches are they should be looking to improve every position. Yep. Every recruiting class we have to Yeah, you gotta get you gotta get the talent in every position. Um you gotta have depth. I mean, some guys aren't gonna live up to the potential, some guys are gonna get injured, some guys are gonna transfer. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, it's just the way it is. What's next? Uh, let's see. Question. Will Coach Pete make the necessary coaching changes to take the program to the next level in both recruiting and on-field performance? Say that again. Say it again. Will Coach Pete make the necessary coaching changes to take the program to the next level in both recruiting and on-field performance? So is it, are we talking about him firing guys? Uh, probably. I mean, I, I yeah, I, he's gonna. I, a couple guys are gonna leave, leave or um, get fired. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't think he's necessarily gonna. They, I think he, they're gonna move on. We don't use the word firing anymore. Apparently, it's <laughs> someone has moved on or they've resigned. We don't fire people. <laughs> they're seeking other opportunities. Seeking, yeah. Uh, you know, he said after the Alabama game, like the they've they've seen where the bar is right now. His statement after after Ohio State is, you know, we have to look at the tape and, and we'll have a plan to fix the offense. We will see. He's on a long streak of bad offenses. He had the anomaly of sixteen, but even going back into Bo- his last few years of Boise State, his offense sucked. So. Is Pete willing to look into the mirror uh, offensively? I, I hopefully, but seven years of Drek, you know, is on his record. So, well, I think we're going to find out soon enough. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Lubick is probably moving on. I think that looks obvious. And Pete, yep. Pete did comment on the offense, so I would probably bet on. Um, pow pow or Bonafa. So is the, he going to make the changes necessary for on the field performance and recruiting? That's the question. Is he going to do it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he will. I I don't I, care. I don't, I don't care who he's going to fire. Who's going to stay? Is, is Hamden still going to be here? Is he going to make the necessary changes? That's the question. Yeah, I think he will. 
Okay. I mean, we saw he 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 did make changes with the staff after Alabama, and I mean those have paid huge dividends in recruiting. And if, if we could just get and the, and the thing that pisses me off <clears throat> is our worst recruiters right now are recruiting tight end and running back. <clears throat> Excuse me. And also, you know, Lubick was supposed to be a better recruiter. He totally fucked it up this year at wide receiver. Those like those offensive skill positions, like coaching doesn't make that much of a difference. <coughs> Excuse me. Jeez. Maybe this just makes me want to vomit talking about this. But okay. <coughs> sorry. Uh might have to get some water in a minute. But okay. my my point is, Jimmy, like, especially at running back wide and wide receiver, those coaches should be your like top recruiters. Because those are positions where you don't, you know, a running back. I mean, just look at Gaskin. You know, he had it. He had it as a freshman. You know, Dwayne Washington, he was a home run guy. But he didn't have the instincts. You know, you you can't coach instincts into running backs, and you can't coach hands for the wide receivers and size and strength. It's just the, 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 the coaches at those positions, they have to be recruiting killers. Like, they have to be your best recruiters. And that's why... Bonafa and Pow Pow, they got to go. I'm sorry, but yeah, um, I will be disappointed if Lubick is the only one that goes. I there at least two of the three have to go. I don't I don't think you have to get rid of Hamden and you know fire every offensive no. coach. I don't think you have to do that, but I, at least I'm, at least two of the three got to go. I'm I'm a little leery of Huff. Um, he's recruited well, but. His on-the-field coaching, I think, continues to stay suspect. Uh, Trey Adams got eaten up. <coughs> Dude, go get your water. I'll I'll I'll, I'll pontificate right, on Trey. Yeah, yeah, pontificate. I'll be right back. He struggled uh, against the Buckeye. Now, granted, I know he came off the back surgery, though he played well. Against, you got that muted? I can hear a lot of noise. He played well enough against uh, uh, when he had to come in against Cal. Was that? Oh no, Hilbert's got hurt. Came, no, it was Apple Cup, and he came in against. Uh, why am I blanking on the other team? But anyway, he had a whole month off before playing Ohio State, um, and you know he had a tough game. Now, granted, he's playing against better players. Uh, with the Buckeye, but the fact of the matter is he struggled. Not just saying that's directly because of Huff's coaching necessarily, though. Um, there are some there are some issues on the offensive line that that need to be cleaned up. How, how did he play against Utah, though? It seemed like he played pretty well that game. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Uh, he played well against. They had to come in in the Apple Cup, and then he played against. He played well against Utah. He did. Um, but he struggled against Ohio State. Yeah, I saw that. He was just, maybe he was difficult after he's just getting his sea legs back, and then he has a month break. Yeah, that maybe, could be. Maybe that that played a role. I, I, you know, I, I have to disagree with you. I'm not that concerned with with house coaching yet. I mean, I, we're I'm still. I I have a little trepidation. I'm a little leery. Enough. I'm not. I'm not saying it's time for him to go or anything crazy like that. I, I, this offensive line's got to get, it's got to get better. 
It does. That's to get better. Okay. Uh, next question. On a scale of one to ten, how much of offensive issues go away next year with a QB who is just one level better than Jake was? Uh, one to ten, with one being none, ten being all. The offensive issues going away next year with a QB who's just one level better than Jake. And so let's say that's all conference because Jake, I don't, he, he might have been honorable mention this year. I mean, if you look at QBR, he was, I think, number three or four. So let's say Eason is at least a second team, a second team all conference. You're saying Eason? Yes, but how much do the offensive issues go away next year if Eason is just one level better than Jake on a scale of one to ten? Uh, I mean, you go first. I don't know. I have an idea. Let me uh, pontificate, to use your one of your favorite words, for a couple <laughs> seconds. I would say... I'd probably say it's probably seven or eight, honestly. I was thinking I, I had seven in my mind. At seven. Well, one thing I think that... Because uh, I want to go into a little uh, sidebar... Um, I, I think this may be, may be ridiculous, but I think Quentin Pounds, I, I just, I really like his game. And I think I noticed looking at the numbers, Jimmy, Aaron Fuller, his production really fell off as soon as Quentin Pounds was done for the season. And same with Ty, same with Ty Jones, but a little bit to a lesser degree. So I think having that deep threat, um, also Chico, he, him and, uh, Pounds, mm-hmm. They both stopped playing basically around the same time. So yeah. I think, you know, and who knows if we're going to get one of those guys back or they're both done. But I, I think we have to have so, some kind of a deep threat next year. To, McClatcher to, can come back. Am I missing something here? Yeah, they both can come back. But, I mean, they've had multiple injuries. Well, and I think McClatcher had some personal issues too. Correct. Yeah. I, I just think, I mean, the receivers were so much, they were, they were so much better with Quentin Pounds out there providing a deep threat. And, you know, now maybe Eason can, can throw. Yeah, we can have a deep threat just because he can throw and he has a powerful arm. But that element of the offense um, was missing towards the end of the year. And, and that, I think, really affected our wide receiver production. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not as enamored with pounds as you are. I mean, he, he, he didn't get that many snaps, but I guess if you looked at the amount of snaps and the impact that he did have on the offense, like I think you can make a case that he was pretty um, effective, uh, you know, cause he, he didn't get that many series and, and granted, you know, there's, you had to kind of rotate a few guys to get, you know, with when you had McClatcher there, you had, you had to, you know, there's only so many snaps you can give out. Um, right, but, he only had 12 targets. Yeah. So, I mean, his his role was limited for sure uh, in regards to amount of snaps he, he got. But um, I'm I'm not ready to anoint Eason as, as the savior of the offense yet. Uh, there's not a huge sample set of his game. He hasn't played in a while. Um I hope people are are will be patient 
uh, with him if, if he doesn't like set the world on fire right out of the gate. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of um, expectation uh, for him. And I, I don't know anything about his mental makeup whatsoever. Um, obviously, he wasn't shy about you know playing big-time SEC football by going to Georgia. And, you know, he it was clear how good his arm was um, when, when he was there. So, you know, d- just give the kid some time. That's what I'll say. One okay, he's got one game. He's got one game. Yeah. Well, he he better be ready to roll because they have a conference game, second game of the year. So we'll find out early. It's against Cal too. Yeah. Uh, okay. Next question. Uh, if late, but if the late buddy Ryan put a bounty on the head of Larry Scott, how much would it be? And how many times over would PAC 12 fans pay for it on GoFundMe? Yeah. I don't know what it's going to take to get the guy fired, but he should have been fired years ago. So uh, I'm not holding my breath. Yeah. Honestly, like if as long as we're winning the conference, I don't care if it's a shit show. It it, <laughs> it, it, has, it hasn't you know it hasn't cost us a berth in the playoff. Look, if you go through the Pac-12 undefeated and you win the Pac-12 championship, you're going to be invited to the playoff. Or if you or if you have one loss. Yeah, if you got one loss, that's a good chance. Especially depending on if you have a good non-conference opponent. You, you can still go if you go through the Pac-12 with one loss, you win it. You can go to the you can go to the big show. By the way, shout out to Metric Superiority guy. He said the 2016 playoff field was clearly the best. Yep, the strongest field. Yep, that's true. Absolutely. Uh, maybe you'll uh, which Husky commits will Tosh try and offer bags to after February to pull another Kho. Well, are there any are any parents of, of any recruits getting divorced and need money? I mean, that's an important thing to take into consideration. Yeah, let's just let's remember some of the other factors at play here, such as. Well, yeah, well that, and you know, look, his reasoning for leaving was that you know he wanted to be closer to his family, <laughs> so he beelines it to to Alabama because he's gonna be. And then you know, come on, softy. And so, yeah, softy. Just well, the kid changed his mind. I mean, if the kid doesn't want to be here, like you fucking idiot, softy. And then he's calling him out later on down the line about his decision. I mean, come on, man. What Don't. a what a clown you are, softy. That, that, that's like that's exactly what he did with Tyrone Willingham. He doesn't have didn't have the balls to say he should be fired in 2007. And then in 2008, after he already fired himself in the middle of the season, he starts bitching about it. Yeah, it's. It's a bad look, and it's because he's got to protect himself somewhat because it's, it's his livelihood. So I get it to a degree. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of those radio personality guys or TV guys, right, they they got to keep the access. they got to keep the players on their side so they can get the interviews and all that crap that goes into kissing ass. Um, so, you know. I get it. He plays the game somewhat. Like it's safe to f- say, fire Willingham after it's. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, dog man. 
the actual dog man wrote an article about that the day after he was fired. Oh yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's just profiles it's, and courage. Yeah, it's really pathetic. Yeah, it's it's bad. <laughs> but that's what you get with the loudest voices, buddy. Will the Cougs wear their Alamo Bowl champions? Oh, wait. Before that, uh, I am starting to get a little bit nervous. We are putting too much hope in the certainty that Eason will be the guy next year. Are we too quickly thinking he's going to be transcendent relative to Browning? Is this nervousness warranted? Yeah, of course. Yeah, he's Montlake Jake Bardu. I I just – I don't like anointing someone to, to fix all your problems. Um, you know, Browning had his limitations. Was he the single issue on everything offensively? I I don't think you could pin absolutely everything on Browning to say that, that Eason's going to walk in and that's going to be all the, (laughs) that's going to be the fix to all your ailments offensively. I I think that's a stretch. I, I don't, Physically and arm strength and all of those things are clearly an improvement. Uh, but let's wait till real games are played. Yes, he was scout team player of the year. But, you know. It's so, so was KJ Carter Samuels. Yeah. I, I, I think it's completely warranted to, to, to say, like, you know, you can be nervous about whether Easton will live up to the hype or not. Most guys don't. Most guys don't live up to the hype. That's true. I mean, I, I just I think that it's reasonable to think that Easton is going to be better than Browning. Yes. Now to now to put like to say he's going to be player of you know Pac-12 Player of the Year, he's going to be a first round pick. It, that's probably unreasonable to 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 hope you know or to just to think but, or assume that's going to happen. Let's let's let the kid play six games <laughs> and see where we are. What, why six games? Well, I mean, it's going to be a mixture of, of conference and out-of-conference games. I mean, at least like start forming somewhat of opinion after he's played like a handful of games is what I'm saying. Well, Jimmy Lake has said some great things about him. Dude, everyone's good in practice, man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean... He he needs an off season an off season national championship type of performance. Yeah, look, I I don't think there's any reason not to be excited and not to be hopeful uh, for his presence on the team. Uh, I mean, there's there's numerous things to like about Jacob Eason as a quarterback and what he brings to the table. Um, but let let's let the kid play a few games. Uh, and, and let's see what they do from an offense. Now, I think one upgrade will be is that hopefully he's not going to be in the coaching meetings formulating the game plan, uh, as opposed, you know, supposedly that's what Browning was in the coaches' meeting. I think even uh, Hamden made a comment on that about that being, you know, a difference when when becoming the offensive coordinator. So that's probably a plus. Um, and let's see how they how they tailor the offense around them as well. Yeah. So. Okay. Will the Cougs wear their Alamo Bowl champions T-shirts for the next fifteen years, like they did when they beat Texas in the Holiday Bowl? You know what blows my mind about these Coug fans is like 
they're they're losing their minds over this eleven and two season. Uh, did they forget though? Like I'm amazed. Like they're not talking about their Rose Bowls that they had with Jason Gesser, but they they want to just like scream to the mountaintops about their eleven and two magical season, and, and and the nerve of these people to not understand why Minshew is a Jack Coog, even though they rip on Huskies as Jack Huskies for fans that didn't attend Washington, rooting for Washington, the dumbest argument. Known, known to civilization in the football realm. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, look, I mean, did Minshew even take a class? He's a grad transfer. He had already finished school. He hadn't even been on campus for 10 months. The dude hadn't even met the players for more than four months before the season started. And they want to anoint him. Like, I like Minshew. I think he's a good player. I like him as a character. I, you know, I thought the mustache thing, thing was stupid. I, I like, I like Gardner Minshew. I don't have any problem with him. But this idea that he was like this, this coog that worked his way up, you know, there was there for four years and earned the starting job. I mean, there were circumstances where he came in and was, you know, essentially given the job because of the talent at the position. I think that was already there in place. Uh, I mean, come on, man. <laughs> Just imagine if they didn't have Minshew. They would have not had the season. Now next year they're saying they're going to be a top-10 team and they're going to dominate. It's mind-blowing, dude. They're going to have a more – yeah, I think they're going to have a more difficult schedule. Yeah, they're going to have a tougher schedule. They're not going to have Minshew. Um, I mean, like they have some good players, um, it's funny. Someone pointed out that uh, Clay, the new defensive coordinator, Clays. they actually Clay's. They actually averaged less. They gave up less points per game under Clay's, and now Grinch is, I think, headed to Oklahoma, and he's going to be paid double the money. Uh, he, he was. I think his defense gave up twenty five point five points per game at Washington State. But the point being. With the Cougs and this idea that, yeah, they probably will be wearing the Alamo Bowl shirts because uh, this was the greatest season in Cougar history, apparently, where I think probably going to Rose Bowls, in my mind, would be better. Uh, the, that, the, the game where they beat Washington in the Apple Cup um, with Ryan Leaf. Uh, I mean, wouldn't you, if you're a Coug fan, I, I mean, I think you're holding on to those as as better seasons than this one this one had a like a great story behind it and you had the tragedy uh and then you had the the phenom of the Minshew story like i get there was a lot of storylines for this season but to say it was like the greatest cougar season ever it seems seems i, I don't see how you see it that way i mean they Easily could have lost that Iowa State game. Yeah, Iowa State's number thirty-seven in Sagarin. Great I win, mean, it, dude. Their quarterback was a freshman. Uh, I mean, they they look. Washington State was a knee catch away from losing that game because they had to throw because they can't run. They had to throw it on third and nine, or third and six, I think it was, and and the receiver dropped the ball, but then caught it between his knees, uh, which essentially, you know, allowed them to run out the clock. But think about it, dude. You don't have an offense where you can run out the clock because you can't run the ball. 
That's why they'll they'll never win anything of significance. <laughs> so, well, la- yeah. last last comment on the Cougs. Um, I I just th- this is the only redeeming quality of softy is how much the Cougs hate him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like they hate him so much that actually makes me like softy in a way. Like, cause he's just a tool that we can just like, use to look at and, and make fun of the Cougs and mock them for their hatred of softy. That they get so, they hate just this radio personality in Seattle. <laughs> even if you go to urban dictionary and you look up Jack Husky, like they even mention like a certain radio host in Seattle. Like, that's the words. Like, someone put that on Urban Dictionary and even mentioned that. He really gets under their skin. Hey, uh, the last comment I'll make, he certainly does, is that if Washington State had the last three years that Washington had, Jim Moore would probably have just decided to hang it up and embalm himself in a 92 snowball poster and ride into the sunset and drink himself the rest of the years. (laughs) Looking back to these three years of, of just the greatest stretch of Cougar football, but yet the Cougs look at Washington that Peterson's not what he is lived up to be, or he's not as what's billed. Uh, as a coach that you now they can't win the big bowl game, but you give these, this three year run to that Coug fan base and they would be shoving it, shoving it down your throat for the next 20 years about this great three year stretch in Cougar history. All right. That's enough time on the Cougs. Next question. What does our linebacker core look like next year? Can they fill the shoes leaving? Also, I'm not convinced Savon is a 25 carry per game back. Is there somebody in the stables that can't go dogs? Uh, I, I think linebacker is, is going to be, uh, I mean, Beavers is, you know, do we, we know his, do we know his injury status? Do you think we would? <laughs> We're not going to know until next year. Maybe, we'll, you know, maybe we'll have some insight at the spring game, whether he plays. Uh, we have no insight onto his injury. We won't. Uh, linebacker, I think is going to be very scary. Um, you might, I mean, do you have a great upgrade? I mean, you don't have a lot of experience there. Um, you mean your two, your two guys, Wellington and Beavers are very injury prone. In, in my mind, Wellington's fine. I, he's, he seems a little undersized for the linebacker position, but he's good. I mean, I, I like Wellington, but yeah, Beavers can stay healthy. And then you got guys that haven't played. So uh, linebacker is a is a very scary uh, position group right now. Yeah, can can Nagata and Tryon fill two of the three spots, or are they two? I always I get a little confused sometimes sometimes with Buck and Sam and Mike. Yeah, I mean I think uh, you know Nagata would play Bartlett's position. Right. Um, and then I think you're going to have Potawai and Tryon rotate at that position. Will they try and move Potawai in, into the line? Uh, Be like a lineman? Just, I think it depends on, on how some of the younger guys progress. 
Uh, yeah, I think I think with linebacker, the 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 guy will we'll be better at the spots closer to the line. But I think you're going to have a hard time replacing, you know, BBK smarts. And, yeah. and I mean, he's a hell of a tackler. I mean, he's going to be whatever you can say whatever you want about BBK, but I mean, yeah. Yeah, a lot of experience. That no, I mean he's yeah, he's a damn good player. I mean he he struggles to defend the middle of the field in the deep passing game. They're they're able to throw over his head a couple times this year, but yeah, no, he's a da- he's a damn good linebacker. He 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 proved it this year. I don't I don't think you can I don't think you can say that the linebacker core is going to be better next year. I don't think you can say that right now. Yeah, I mean a lot is going to hinge on Tryon and Nagata being able to provide pressure if you can get a pass rush that's really going to help absolutely what was the other part of the code running back that's one that's one area that of the defense that can get better whereas the other areas you're looking at regression at least at the beginning of the season um yeah savon uh 25 carries per game back is there somebody he's not convinced of that is there somebody in the stable that can Um, no What's who's the recruit Cam Cam Davis Cameron Davis Yeah, I would not be shocked. I mean, look, running back is a position where true you see true freshmen that are very effective. So I would not be surprised if Cam Davis. What about is, Dick Newton? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. To me, to me, your running backs next year, it's going to be, I think your your most, I think I think Savant's going to get 15, 15 carries a game. I think McGrew and Pleasant will split somewhere between seven and ten carries. I think you'll see this offense run the ball. I think I think we're going to end up throwing it more than we run it. I just think that's what it's going to be. I don't. I don't agree with it, but I think I think we're going to see more passing than we are running next year. And I think you'll see about 25 carries. I think you'll get 15 out of Savon, and you'll get eight to ten out of the other guys. The the passing should open up the run game. Assuming assuming Eason we'll is what many of us expect. Sure, I mean that's fair. Uh, I think Savon is going to be a good running back. A lot of people are down on him. I don't know why. <laughs> he's just look. He's struggled against the best teams. That's all. But he's he's Dude. he's proven himself against most Blame of the schedule. You you give you give uh, Ahmed you give Ahmed that pitch pitch play at the goal line that they gave Gaskin. He scores. You're going to run uh, um, Ahmed on the three yard line up the gut. Against Ohio State, when that's what they're keying on. I mean, like, how how can you hate on Ahmed on that play? You you give that pitch to the outside to him, he's going to score. I, I'm sorry, but that play was not going to work with with Ahmed there. So I mean, a little bit like, come on, don't call that play. And just hope that he's going to squeak through. That's just not going to happen down there in the trenches when they know Ohio State know that knows that play is coming. Yeah, and I think what people don't realize is if Eason 
can really open up the offense and we can get some kind of a deep threat where teams cannot have nine or ten guys inside ten yards, I mean, that is going to open up more space. For, it's going to open up more opportunities for guys like Ahmed, Ty Jones, you know, Fuller going across the field. I mean, that's what really what his game is. Ahmed, Ahmed can rush for a thousand yards next year. Yeah, he's going to have some breakaway. There's no, there's long no doubt. touchdowns. If, if he's the starter, he will rush for a thousand yards next year. Uh, how do you celebrate National No More Brown Sox Day? You know that guy has been beaten up so badly. Like, yeah. He will still be talked about even in the next year because the conversation will probably come down to, like, imagine if they had Easton last year or, you know, like there's going to be comparisons still. And, and what if Easton has a really slow start? Then probably, like, Fetters or someone oh, is going to come out and say, what, oh, what if they had Jake Browning, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know that's going to happen. Or Bleener. Bleener would have said, I could have, you know, I saw this coming 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, seriously, like, you, there's probably guys in that crew that, that, that is hoping for a slow start just so they can bring up Browning. I mean, so for anyone that thinks that the Browning discussion has ended, uh, we're likely going to have it going to next year. Jeez. And, that, and that's partly because the media will, will drum up that, that storyline. Because, you know, it's going to be Easton replacing the storied, you know, Pac-12 winningest quarterback and all the stats that he has at Washington. Like, you know, there's going to be that comparison throughout the entire year. Yeah. Anyway, we still got some questions. Let's hammer these out in the next five minutes. Yeah. Who do you think the final commits will be? Ford is going to – Kyle Ford's going to USC, unfortunately – uh, Hi Muli, he's like he's probably going to commit to us. I think Hi Muli, you know, unfortunately, maybe we'll get a Jag wide receiver, maybe Henry Tuotu. I'm I'm Hi Muli seems almost a done deal. Hopefully, we can get another blue chip guy. Uh, the the other guy, Paka Puka Nakua from Utah, um, he he may st- he may stay with USC. So, I mean, USC, the way they've recruited wide receivers and tight ends. And their offensive coordinator is look. I mean, Kingsbury is, is potentially looking at NFL jobs. I mean, Jesus, what an epic fail at those positions. Our recruiting, I mean. Well, a standard five minutes, I have no comment. I don't know. Haimuli sounds good. I don't know about the other guys. Ford coming to Washington was always a long shot. So, we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. L-I-P-O. Yeah, a couple of questions about rap. We already mentioned it. You know, was he making a business decision? Was he really hurt? Yeah, I think he was really hurt. I, I don't I don't think business decision factored that much into it. I don't I don't know. I don't I don't have any I don't know. I, I don't yeah, we don't have the info. We don't have the info that the coaches do. I will say this, I think Taylor Rapp is the toughest husky that's been in the program in a long time. Dude's tough as nails. How come the Cougs on Twitter are so salty and delusional? Uh, that's because 
they're they're very upset that their special season was ruined, that they didn't get to go to the Rose Bowl, and we had a better season and we beat them soundly. They're very upset about that. Yeah. And that's why they're salty about it, because they're very upset. And that's what an insecure loser does. Yeah. And that's what they are. I'm sorry, but that's what their fans are. They've completely lost their shit. And and Jim Moore is an absolute lunatic. Uh, the guy is... Like, it's, I haven't it's, even it's, seen what he's tweeted recently. What's that? Has he tweeted anything recently? I don't know, but the guy is like a complete embarrassment, especially for that atrocious 710 ESPN station. I mean, he's seriously an embarrassment. Like, it's bad. Hey, hey Jim, don't you have a 3010 promo to read? Stop tweeting about the Huskies. Look, I mean, you have to, at some point, like, you know, there is something about professionalism in your work. And I know his shtick is like to be like that drunken dad and that that buffoon in the corner of the bar. And I get it. Like 10 years ago, he wrote some really good stuff and he wrote some really funny articles about Rick Neuheisel. But seriously, his his shtick is is like fading. It's faded. It's bad. Like he, he he's proud of not really studying and just showing up and just. And his smoking lock of the week is always a disaster. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's so bad, dude. I mean, in he seriously, he's the voice of the kooks. Like, that's your voice. So the fans, like, clearly, like, if they look up to that guy as someone that they really count on for kook talk, like, again, like, dude, you got to look in the mirror. Talk about salty, man. Okay, how do you? Yeah. Sorry, how do you deal with the season being over? Cocaine, alcohol, or both? Well, follow, following recruiting is one way. And having this podcast. Yeah, I, I think the other factors are is that, honestly, the spring game is not that far away. Yeah, there's still another signing day. Um, you know, there's going to be plenty of, of things to talk about in the off season. Potential coaching changes. Coaching changes, there's going to be players leaving. Um so uh, I think obviously you look forward to next year and, and everyone gets to talk about having a five-star quarterback uh, come into the program when, you know, there's been a lot of complaint around uh, whether or not Peterson's ever put competition at the position, which Brown never had to deal with. So we actually have a quarterback competition with guys that are highly touted. And you have Dylan Morris coming in early. He'll be playing in the spring game. So there's a lot of intrigue at, at the position that's been railed upon uh, for quite some time. Okay, who starts in the front six, the 2-2-2? Two, two, two. I think, uh, obviously, Levi and then uh, Taimani and, and Tuli Latuli, Gasanoa, they would probably share that second position. And then, yeah. I guess, who would the... I'm getting confused, but who would the other two two be? Well, you'd have, uh, I mean, Potawai'i and uh, Tryon or Nagata. Yeah, Nagata. Wellington Beavers. Is it was that yeah. who it would be? You probably that's probably what you're looking at. Yeah, the, losing Camillo Eifler and Keho didn't hurt us this season, but it's probably going to hurt us this coming season, 2019. Well, was Eifler any good? Yeah, I mean that's 
you're, you're, I mean, uh, who's the Jackson Sermon? He's a redshirt yeah, freshman. So really, he, I, but he's not a redshirt, dude. He played this year. Right. Well, him and oh, him and Tafisi, who's a little yeah, undersized, those guys are going to need to step up. Yeah. Well, well so Calvert, I mean, you know, he had a really good uh, game the other night in the All-Star game. Uh, yeah. He he ranked higher. He rated higher than uh, you know the the Thibodeau kid going to Oregon. Um, he he was one of the standouts at that game played. So you know maybe Calvert makes some noise. Speaking of standouts, does Trey Lowe make an impact next year? That's something I'm really interested in because I've seen his name floated around a little bit. Well, he got one series. Um, Is he like a Chico player? He's a Chico. Yeah. I, I, we, we really miss Chico. I mean, that part of the offense. Well, we're over the five minutes. We got another question. A couple more. Well, then. Okay. Uh, I keep thinking about these two plays as pivotal to the loss. Please comment on whether you agree. All right. The, I think his first one was the, uh, no, the second one, the ridiculous play calling at the end of the first half that gave the ball back to OS. It, it, the play was there to be made. Browning just threw a bad pass. So you can't, yeah. that's execution. That's not play calling. Yeah, that was ugly. I mean, the more like the initial reaction is, oh, why did we, you know, throw a pat? Why did we do that stupid play? But the more you look into it, it's a very bad. I mean, that could have been like a thirty-yard pet. It, watch it again. It, that, that was execution. That's Browning's fault. Why is there no statue of Gil of uh, Gil Doby outside Husky Stadium? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. There should be. Probably should. You should probably have a start. Yeah, start raising money for that. Yeah, so so start picketing. I prefer that versus the the you'll go to hell guys every Saturday. Yeah, I think that's the last one. The other one is is DDY a gay black man? Uh, I'm not sure on the gay part. Um, no, I think he's a. I think he's straight, and no, he's not a black man. But a good. I saw your you you DD. You asked if Ty Jones was a DDY three. I I think I think Ty Jones will bounce back. I I mean I think he's I think he's a solid good receiver, but he's not going to be like a. You know he's I think he's he's like a good number two option. He's got two years to change the narrative. I I think he's got it. I think he can do it too. But I just I was curious. Um, you know, DDY is very serious about his DDY threes. Yeah, I mean, and, look, I think. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying he's got. He's Ty Jones is a DDY three. So, um, it's if you're a DDY three man, you better be. You better be balling. Yeah, so. and he was. He wasn't balling towards the end of this year. He was not. And so. I think the the one of the the drawbacks on him was that he's potentially kind of soft. It and, appears so. Yeah, and he's got to disprove that this coming season. Absolutely. All right, brother, anything to add before we close up shop here? This, Yeah, this is pretty long. Uh, yeah, it was. I'd uh, just like to give a, a shout-out to Tyler Trent as uh, he passed away on New Year's Day. Um, that guy was impressive, to say the least. Yeah. I, think, I think there's a lot to be said. Um and uh, you know football and having a love of sports and having a team where not not everyone understands it and uh, you know 
if you're a diehard football, college football fan, you understand it and you understand his love for, for his team. And um, I think it's something we all can relate to. It's too bad that his life was cut short. He had a lot of things he wanted to do. Yeah, but that just shows you the or, – or scratch that. I mean, what what a great moment for him and Purdue when he said they were going to win that game, but they won that game and just shat on Ohio State. That's, yeah, that's just that's just awesome. And he got to see it, and he got to address the team afterward. Man, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that I mean that's that's why college football is just awesome. Absolutely, it's uh, hopefully hopefully uh, football doesn't die out like everyone says it will. Hopefully not, but you know, Jimmy. Even though we lost the Rose Bowl, it's still a heck of a season, and. You know, just keep stacking conference titles. It's ne- never anything to be upset about. No, that's right. I mean, look, we just want the best for Washington. And we can – two conference titles in three years, going to the playoff once. That doesn't have to be our the ceiling for this program. No, and, and we've already seen it. They're leveling up in the recruiting and they need to, and we need to keep doing that. That's why we have to keep the pressure on as fans. Look, dude, you get paid over four million a year. You just brokered a hundred thirty million dollar deal with Adidas. You got deep pockets in the in the uh, Taiyi booster world. Uh, you got the greatest setting in Husky in, in college football. The greatest setting in college football. Look, they're. We stole that from the Rose Bowl, probably. Hey, and the fact is, look, man, I personally, I don't care. You can, I want Peterson to do it with integrity. I, I don't, I don't need him. I, I don't care what they do behind the scenes. I, you know. But here, here's one one note on that, Jimmy, because I've seen a few people tweeting about that, like, oh, we don't need, we don't want to be. You know, dirty like these schools. I don't think we have to get dirty to recruit at to level up even more. Like, no. we just have to give a better sales pitch. I mean, if you look at the positions we're not recruiting well at, it's really atrocious. It's it, it, it's sales. You need a better sales pitch. Sure, there's going to be a few guys. There's going to yeah. be a percentage of the top prospects where you're going to have to pay money to get them. But I, I don't. I, you know, that's. I don't think we have to do that. No. They don't. They don't. They don't. Yeah, we don't. We don't have to get dirty to recruit even better and get better and better players. And you know, firing the assistant coaches, they get paid a lot of money too. It's not like these guys are making seventy grand or fifty grand. Like they make a shitload of money. You make more money because you have a more important job and you have higher expectations. Look, man. I mean, Adidas plays into this shit, right? I mean, they've dominated the high school ranks now in football. Um, you know, you, you you start getting big wins. You you become the cool school. Those things freaking matter. The social media crap matters. Like all those small details, the marketing, like branding, like all of those things can impact recruiting. They don't have to hand over coffee cups and – you know, those things aren't necessary to level up in recruiting. And it's proven so. And look, you know, I, I said this earlier today. What, what were people saying after Dabo after five seasons? 
like when did it really turn the where when did he really turn the key it wasn't until after five years no we're right on the we're right along we're right on the same path as that. on the brink but they got to get a few more pieces to the puzzle and that's clear but they're right on that edge and they're going to have they have some big time players already committed yeah, and what happens in the next couple of years in recruiting, Jimmy, that's going to determine if we're going to win a national championship or not. Yeah. Yes, we're we're positioned to make playoff runs in the years ahead, but look, you got to we got to scratch and claw and improve every little thing that we can to give ourselves a chance to win the national championship in the future. You know, that you you got to get if we don't get Brian Murphy or Byron Murphy, remember, we we were interviewing Jimmy Lake and, and he, he told us, like, he he was thinking of flipping and staying home. If we don't get Byron Murphy, we don't win the – we don't go to the Rose Bowl this year. Yep. If we could have gotten Nikhil Harry the last two years, we, we'd probably have a couple more wins. And who knows, maybe three Rose Bowls. Hey, and that's like, you know, you got you got to have the tools ahead for, for Sam Hewer for him to throw the ball to. And you got to get Savelle Smalls, man. That's the heat from the edge you've been you've been waiting for. So we'll see. I think Smalls is going to be a it's going to be a fight to the to the to the very it's end. A fight to the death. It's going to be a fight to the death, but I think they can do it. On that note, brother, going to sign off. Great work today. Great season. It's good to be a dog, man. Yeah. It's good to be a dog. Fuck yeah. We'll do it again probably, uh, you know, right before, right after signing day. Man, give me a break, would you? Jeez, I need some time off, man. Yeah, that that's like three or four weeks. Well, you know, we'll talk to talk about a couple guys. All right. <laughs> All right, buddy. All right, I'm... Uh... I'm ending this right now. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and uh, we'll talk to you again sometime Turn it soon. off. Turn it off. <laughs>